Now, before I get into this part of the, the text, uh, this epistle that, that uh, Peter wrote, he wrote it during a time where the Christians were being persecuted. A time when they were living in a hostile environment. A time where it was very discouraging to, to try to live for Jesus because you were losing family members, family members that weren't agreeing with you. You were also struggling because there was moments where maybe your job promotions uh, were being given to somebody else. There were different situations that were taking place because somehow because of your convictions for Jesus, they were making a difference, but in a negative way with the people around you. Remember, dark, darkness does not mix in with the light. And so what we see is that it was costing them to live for Jesus. Maybe their popularity, maybe a position, maybe certain relationships that they had to break. But in whatever situation they were experiencing pressures from all sides, maybe favoritisms and family gatherings. But whatever the situation, they were to live unapologetically for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not too different than today, right? Not too different than today. We can go to a family gathering and more than likely can get criticized. Maybe we can stop everyone and, hey, let's pray. And they look at us crazy. Maybe we might be ministering to one of our cousins. And here comes our other cousin mocking us. Just happens, right? Or is it in my home only? Amen. Thank you, brother. So, not too different than today. But the Christians around the time of Peter, they were experiencing what it is to be marginalized in society. To be pushed out because of your convictions. And so, Peter goes on to encourage them through this letter. And we find this part of the passage as it leads into this verse where he is reminding them of what it is to suffer for righteousness sake. There's a part in the verse where he's telling them, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Then he goes on and he tells them that, hey, look, they're going to revile you for your good behavior. People are going to mock you. People are going to try to shame you. People are going to ridicule you. But he's telling them in verse 17, as I get into verse 18, which we'll actually dive into, he tells them in verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for being in the will of God than out of the will of God. And so we're reminded 
that we will suffer. It's not going to be peaches and cream for us. It's not going to be easy. We might experience sufferings in all kinds of different relationships. As you do good, as you stand for the truth, People are not going to like us. But it's okay. Because we are not here to impress the people. We're not here to be governed by the opinion of man. We are here to serve the living God. And so, Peter knows that The Christians need more than a to-do list because he tells them these are the things that you ought to do when you are suffering. But he goes on to this very verse in 18 and follow with me with what the word of the Lord says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, Peter points them to the gospel. Many times when we're trying to find strength to endure through our hardships, through our sufferings, We usually default to, I have to do more. I have to pray more. I have to read more. I have to spend more quiet time. I have to pray at least 10 more times throughout the day. But but notice that Every one of these situations, it is relying on your own strength to get something done. But what Peter points them to is the gospel, the very heart of the gospel. You know how hard it is to believe the gospel when all hell breaks loose? You know how hard it is to believe the gospel when you're feeling the persecution of your own family? You know how hard it is to believe the gospel when you done lost your job, bills need to be paid. This is the hour of trial when the whispers of the devil become more enticing. It is in these moments that, these crunching moments, that the weight of our suffering begin to drown out our hope. Satan's lies become more believable when we feel God further away. So it is faith in Jesus, in this gospel that is essential for you and I 
And so he gets to this point. He says, for Christ also suffered. He goes to Jesus and he's telling us, remember Jesus as your example. Why would he say that? For the people that are married, when we're going through difficult situations in our marriage, do we normally go to a single person who's been single all their life and has inexperienced marriage and, and try to ask them for counsel and how to deal with a situation with your spouse? Normally you wouldn't do that, right? You would go to someone that's been married for a while, that's experienced the bruises, that's experienced the crying, that's experienced being on their knees crying for their spouse, that's experienced marriage, right? So think about it this way. The person you pray to, the rock of our salvation, the one who we long to receive grace from, he himself has walked through the journey of suffering. He himself has graduated from the school of suffering. Therefore, we can approach Jesus as our example. He experienced rejection. His disciples abandoned him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he experienced such anguish because he knew what was before him. The cup of God's furious wrath. Not what the Roman soldiers would do to him, but the furious wrath that the Father would unleash upon His only begotten Son for you, for me, for all those who were placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about Jesus as our example, oh, He has experienced sufferings. So if anyone can relate to us, it's Jesus. But not only that, Peter knows that we need more than just an example. We need power. When we talk about drawing strength for our sufferings, we can't rely on the next things that we need to do. We need to rely on someone that has been victorious for us. So he goes to the very heart of the gospel. This verse is known as a rich and clear explanation of this gospel when we talk about penal substitutionary atonement. It's a long word. I'm not going to ask you to follow with me on it. But penal substitutionary atonement. Such an important part of the Christian faith. So when I say penal, 
I mean that Jesus paid the penalty for sin. Substitutionary, meaning that as a substitute, he was in our place, he took our place. Atonement, to undo the effects of our sin and restore us back to God. Hallelujah. So think about penal. In this part, he says, Christ also suffered once for sins. The all-sufficient sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was final. God was sent His only begotten Son to live a perfect life that you and I could never live. To live in the realities of this fallen and broken, hostile world. He was tempted as you and I were, yet without sin. Jesus lived through all the messiness. And to think that he would do it for you. Follow with me. To think that Jesus would do that for you and for me. But not only did he live a perfect life of obedience in our behalf, he did it willingly to the cross. And at the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. You no longer have to work for your salvation. You no longer have to experience hell and eternal sufferings. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are ours. My faith in our Savior. So now think about Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus as our substitute. Oh, amazing grace, right? That he would pay the debt that we deserve. That he would take our place at Calvary. And when we think about Jesus at Calvary, keep this in mind. It says, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is, the spotless Lamb of God. The perfect righteousness of Jesus. But then on the other side stood us. Let us describe us. Are we good? No, we're, we're jacked up from the flora. Ain't no one good. Are we sinless? Uh-uh. Ain't no one sinless. Are, without, are we without sin? No. You see, when we think about Jesus, though, think about Jesus here. It says, he who knew no sin but yet became sin for us. 
became sin for us. Who, hallelujah. You know, family, when I think about my sins, the sins that I have committed, and I don't even know the ones that I will commit in the future, but yet Jesus paid it all. That is amazing. That is amazing. To think about that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, family. No more condemnation. Como decimos, si la regaste, levántate. Hey, if you ruined it, get back up. Look to Jesus. The righteous for the unrighteous. You can create the longest list of all the kind of accusations the enemy has had towards you. But the scripture says that they've been nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross. So next time when you stumble and you fall and you try to stay there, that's where Satan wants to keep you at. Now, if you fall to your knees and you're weeping, just begin praising. That's a great place to be at. But be reminded that all your sins have been paid for. So when God the Father looks down to you today, guess what he sees? The perfect life of Jesus. Not ours. Hallelujah. And because of that, family, because of that, we live in victory. We live in victory. Not because it's a better you, but because Christ dwelleth in me. That's why we live in victory. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, family. That, that, that moves my bones. My wife waving at me. I, I feel you, baby. I got to watch myself. I get carried away. Thank you, Brother Joe, right there, too. It's just, if the gospel doesn't move you, what else will move you? If the gospel don't compel you to worship, what else will we have nothing else but Christ and Him alone. Hallelujah. And so, when we think about our sufferings, when we stand up for Jesus, remind yourself that he took your place on the cross. But not only that, we also remind ourselves of the great victory. Look at what he accomplished. It says, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to church. Is that what it says? That he might bring us to a beautiful building. That he might bring us to a perfect marriage with perfect kids? Man, whoo, right? It says that he might bring us to God. 
Man's greatest need was not riches and wealth and popularity. It was to be reconciled with God. So what Jesus accomplished. He is the anchor of our soul. A sure and steadfast anchor. He he is the forerunner. He says he's gone beyond the veil into the very presence of God. And you and I no longer have to pray to no saints, do kind of rituals. We can just come to God and be in prayer. That's it. That's it. Oh, what blessed hope we have in Jesus Christ. What victory we have that you and I get to not only walk as children of God, but the presence and power of God goes with us. Imagine that in those moments of suffering, in those moments of agony and anguish, it is the presence of God that is with you. There's nothing else that we need more than that, family. Nothing else but the very presence of God. So Jesus accomplished this for you and I with victory. He ushered us into the presence of God. And now you and I are able to experience is freedom. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Hallelujah. And what does the Scripture also say? That we are being transformed from glory to glory when we behold who? The Lord of glory. Jesus Himself. Look at what he accomplished. So when you and I are going through those moments of suffering, I'm not saying that it's going to be easy for us. For Peter tells the Christians in the earlier passage this, man, I feel my voice done shifted, right? The tuning, I'm like, man, listen to what he says here in First uh, Peter chapter 2. He says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? This is a gracious, no, uh, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, You endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus suffered for you and left you an example. 
So not only was he our example, but he was our substitute. Not only was he our substitute, he is our victory. And in our moments of suffering, we do not look to our circumstances to inform our hearts. We look to the truth of the gospel to inform our hearts. And so, in those moments, the scripture says that God works all things out for our good. What if our good is not to get out of that moment of suffering? Am I getting y'all's attention here? Because more, most of the time when we're suffering through something, we want to get out of it, right? But what if it is not God's will to be removed out of our suffering? He is working all things out for our good. And what is that good? Being conformed to the image of his son. It is not a better you. But it is to become conformed to the image of his son. So today, let us rejoice in our sufferings. For you're not alone. If anyone can relate to you, it is Jesus. For he died for you. But not only that, his victory is given to you. And so, in our times of sufferings, you're not alone. You also have a family that is living out this Christian faith with you. Who is praying with you. So, as I start landing the plane with this, I want to read something out of uh, Edmund Clowney. I think I said his name, right? Edmund Clowney. And he says in regards to this passage, and I was really uh, just taken back by the way he uh, wrote this. The gift of God's love. The blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed Christians from the corrupt and empty lifestyle of their pagan past. That grace now unites them in fervent love for one another. They serve and help one another using the rich spiritual gifts with which God's grace equips them. Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the flock of God, watches over his people. He calls under shepherds to serve him in guarding his sheep. The victory of Jesus Christ frees his people from the power of Satan. Follow with me. They can repulse the roaring lion. In the fires of the trial, their faith would not be destroyed, but purified like gold in the furnace. They may cast all their cares on God, knowing that he cares for them. The grace that already fills Christians with joy will be brought to them 
fully at the appearing of Jesus Christ, the Lord, whom they love, but yet have not seen, they will soon see and adore, knowing well the doom and darkness from which they were delivered. And the new people of God, they sing forth praises and hallelujahs in their assembly and hallelujahs in their home and hallelujahs from their prison cells because their fear of God has set them free from the fear of man. Hallelujah, right? So, whether you are married to an unbeliever or your parents are unbelievers or family members are unbelievers and you're going through a difficult time, man, whether it be at work, be encouraged that you have someone that you pray to that knows what you're going through. Scripture says that Jesus prays for us. So if anyone you want praying for you is who? Jesus. You see, our hearts are slowly finding comfort. Not in the things of this world, not in your boss, not in your parents, not in your children, not in no one else but Christ alone. For my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his blood and righteousness. Hallelujah, right? But do we believe that? We can sing it, but do our hearts believe that? And that's what will make the difference. So today, family, as you leave from here, leave with that nugget, that nugget of eternal worth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you come to feast with Jesus, be reminded that you were once an orphan, but you've been adopted into the family of God, and now you're a child of God. You were once a child of wrath, and now you're a child of God. You were once in the domain of darkness, and now you've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is our position now. Our blessed hope. Oh, we have much to praise the Lord for. And it is not because of what we bring to the table. It is what he has brought to the table. Let us bow our heads. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. You're worthy to be praised. Lord, what can we really say? I mean, 
We can say, God, we've accomplished this, we've done that, we've done all of these things for you, but that is nothing in comparison to what you've done for us. As you said, have this mind, the same mind that is the mind of Christ, have this in us. To put the interest of others before our own. So in those seasons of suffering, if it is for the sake of others to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, God, empower us by your spirit to endure. When we gather with our families during the summer, empower us by your spirit to endure. Lord, in our relationships with our spouses, we're going through seasons of suffering. Empower us by your spirit to endure. Whether it be at work, maybe we're being overlooked. Maybe there is mistreatment taking place. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us power to endure. At the end of the day, we need you. For without you, without your gospel, we will be gone. So today, if anyone that is here and you're going in, in a season of suffering, I invite you to Jesus Christ. I invite you to rest in Him. No one else can bear our sufferings as he would. So come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus, for he cares for us. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.